with socio-political issues. One man searches for intelligent conversation. From Dedham, Massachusetts, the birthplace of modern democracy, this is You Don't Have to Yell with your host, Dan Sally. Sally, 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 Sally. Welcome to episode 85 of You Don't Have to Yell. It is your resident bod boy of nonpartisan political podcasting here. And a few episodes back, the Data Monkey and I discussed the recent rally in the price of Bitcoin and the possibility that it or some other cryptocurrency could eventually replace the dollar as the new global reserve. And so for our conversation, we created a theoretical crypto called McGriddlecoin, which of course is named after the world's most prestigious breakfast sandwich, the McGriddle. And we promised you all a bonus McGriddle later on to tie up some loose ends from our conversation. And today, Bitcoin is still rallying, but we actually saw an opening to bring back McGriddlecoin after seeing the Biden administration take criticism for its soft response to the killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, directed by Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. That was a mouthful, and also a rather roundabout way to bring back our McGriddlecoin. But I put forth the theory that our relationship with Saudi Arabia is more about the status of the dollar than it is about oil. And I asked a data monkey back to weigh in on that. And we have a long-ranging conversation that ties up the zero of the loose ends from the original McGriddlecoin episode. But we do make an interesting observation on inflation and come up with a modern-day reboot of the movie Die Hard. I'll be back at the end with final thoughts and maybe to apologize. We'll see. I'll set things up. So when we spoke last, it was February 4th. I checked. I double-checked. February 4th was when the episode, the last episode came out. And you and I were talking about Bitcoin, which at the time was hovering around 40,000 for one Bitcoin. The McGriddle has gone up quite a bit. Since the McGriddle, then. yes, yes. Which for those of you who weren't listening, we'll explain the McGriddle reference in a second. But yes, so uh, I said, I theorized it was a bubble. Um, full disclosure, I, I, I was in Bitcoin. I got out uh, earlier you know, made a little money. And, uh, and since then it's like doubled in price, which is awesome. So now, now it's at 60 K for a Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, we had also promised the folks who were listening that we were going to do a follow-up to the last episode. Cause we, we hit on some pretty heavy topics and didn't actually like get to any resolution. We just sort of like put it in their head and then like, there you go. Like, let that keep you up at night. Um, so, so for those we do who, a lot of that though, so I, mean, I would say, so yeah, if you haven't when caught I come on, on, it's really just about, it's really just about raising the provocative questions is what it is. That's it. That's it. So if you guys haven't caught on to that by now, you know, good luck to you. But, um, yeah. So, so for those who didn't get that, who didn't listen to that episode, you know, we were talking about, the whole idea of the USD or the US dollar being the global reserve currency and that power 
uh, allowing the United States to have this outsized influence in the world uh, financially, militarily, allowing us to finance our entire way of life without having any commensurate increase in taxes and so on. And so the data monkey and I together came up with a uh, with a uh, with our own cryptocurrency. We got into the crypto game and we came up with the McGriddle coin because who doesn't like a McGriddle? And the basic idea is the McGriddle coin has the same properties as Bitcoin in that it is easily transferable, it is finite, and it is decentralized. And the McGriddle coin effectively comes and supplants the US dollar as the world's reserve currency. So this was the idea. And just so, just for the listeners, understand not all questions are open-ended uh the answer to um who doesn't like a mick girdle is serial killers exactly yeah. exactly that's it so. so so serial killers are cut out of this new global economy but the right. the basic idea was there are these geopolitical undercurrents that are pointing in the direction of trying to remove the U dollar dominance over the economy. And obviously China has a huge interest in that. Um, there are any number of countries that we've sanctioned, Russia, Iran, that have a huge interest in that. And, and so the question is with the volumes of debt we're taking on, um, with the potential for interest rates to rise and us have having difficulty servicing that debt, you know, all that could make a decentralized currency that is not based in the United States very attractive. So that's that's your that's your little you know prelude. Now, since then, and part of the reason I wanted to revisit this is since then, um, the Biden administration made a statement related to the killing of Khashoggi. And the hit was directed by Mohammed bin Salman, the, the crowd prince. And so, of course, Trump got criticized for not uh, for not saying anything about it. Biden has been criticized for taking too light-handed of an approach to this killing. And so it raised the question to me, why is Saudi Arabia so important? Why are they so important that we're willing to... Uh, that we're that, that we're willing to show such great deference in against what is such a clear violation of human rights. And so I pose this theory to you, Mike, because that's what I do. I just I think things up and you then pose I, them and I come back with woefully underqualified answers. That's exactly it. But that's okay. better than what me. you tune in for. I just have zero evidence. I'm just like, this sounds great. Tell me if I'm right. And so here's and all my, the listeners in Germany. This is their second language. There's the second language anyway. That yeah. Listen. Well, do, do you, so the we, game of telephone will go on, but that's those, exactly you know, it. That's exactly right. it. So, 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 you know, getting back to like our relationship with uh, Saudi Arabia and the Middle East in okay. general, um, you know, it's not a big Middle East is not a huge trading partner of ours. So we get about you know, 10% of our oil from there, which is not small. Um, but, you know, the idea that we're, I, the idea that we're invested in this relationship to keep oil prices stable is of course laughable because, you know, oil prices were at negative 37 a barrel uh, not too long ago. Um, the, the second part though, the piece that's really critical and this, the thing we hit on on the last episode was that, you know, when the U.S. moved the dollar off the gold standard, you know, there's this whole story about how well the currency just floated, but not really, because when Nixon 
removed the gold standard, he really replaced gold with petroleum effectively because he was the okay. one who negotiated. He's the one who negotiated yeah, was, the whole it was, agreement. It was something like 1976. Yeah, yeah. He was the one who negotiated the whole agreement for oil prices to be, or oil sales to be done in U.S. dollars, which is mm-hmm. why it's priced in USD. Which is why, uh, if you want to buy Middle Eastern oil, you need to have reserves of U.S. dollars. Which means and we why bought- for many years the Saudis were the biggest uh, shareholder of Citigroup. They may still be. I have to double check. But yeah, because that's the other thing. We—that's the part of that trade, right? Petrodollars. The, the important part of petrodollars are petrodollars get recycled, mm-hmm. and the most obvious place to put them is in dollar-denominated assets. Yeah. So, so they own literally a trillion dollars worth of investments. I mean, just treasuries alone—they own own something like. I don't know, 150 to 200 billion. I think I don't know what the real what the real time number is. We're going to say it's like 160 billion or something like that. And yeah. I mean, across across the like the major some of the major oil exporters own you know a quarter of a trillion dollars or more in um, in uh, treasuries. So I'm not totally crazy then for thinking that much of the reason or a big part of the reason why we're so quiet on things like the killing of Khashoggi or the civil war in Yemen or so on. You know, I'm not crazy for thinking that our deference in the face of these human rights abuses by Saudi Arabia isn't entirely related to the role they play in keeping the US dollar dominant. Am I wrong on that or no? Yeah, no, well, no, I don't think you're I don't think you're wrong. I don't think it's a, a single factor answer. It's yeah. a, probably a multi-factor answer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because, and this is, I'm going to be way out of my depth on this as I am spend most of my time waiting around in areas I'm way out of my depth on. Yeah. Uh, but I, th- I believe if we brought on someone more knowledgeable than me to talk about this, that you know, we have like military agreements with them, right? They purchase arms. They, mm-hmm. um, you know, we... Uh, we have, you know, f- flyover agreements or base agreements or other kinds of like, uh, you know, tactical and military agreements that we have in place mm-hmm. there, just a broad, broadly within the, the Middle East, um, which is, so I'd say the, the Khashoggi killing, right, is just like the most, one of the more recent examples of other times that we've sort of like looked the other way on very questionable things that have yeah. gone on in the relationship. I mean, going back 20, um, you know, 20 years to, to um, 9-11 and you kind of look and, and say like, I mean, there was very clearly like a, a connection, right. Between what happened there and um, you know, the, or there's a loose connection, I should say, between some of the, the, um, radicalization right in the middle east has gone on you know in part in the the um schools that were funded and within saudi arabia right so there's like you know you're sort of like fighting terrorism but also at the same time sort of creating the backdrop to make more of it and like so there's always been sort of these kind of question marks i think around that relationship that you sort of raise an eyebrow at but to your point you know money doesn't make the world go around energy makes the world go around um and and so you know this this agreement and not only that and this kind of gets to your point of the dominance of the u.s currency is is that recognition that it's energy that makes the world go around and it doesn't just drive the U S economy, it drives every economy. And so, 
having all of the world trade or at least a large portion of world trade in energy priced in dollars is huge i mean yeah because it it creates a, a dynamic which um you know having the reserve currency it puts the reserve currency status on steroids all right yeah and it leads to what they call i think we talked about this maybe on a on a past um recording in talking about currencies but i mentioned the what's known as like the triffin dilemma which is that you um you know you have to run you know sort of a a, a current account um you know deficit in order to if you're the reserve currency in order to get enough currency outside of the 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 world to out of the rest of the country the globe to, to fund things. I mean, if you're going to have trade now focused like in these, in a reserve currency and especially energy, which is something that, you know, every importing in, in, in you know, country needs to, to, he's going to need dollars to pay for it. Yeah. So every time the dollar kind of strengthens, or if we were running a, a, you know, a current account surplus and, and not, and not buying things from elsewhere, then they would all be, they would all effectively have be under central bank tightening, right? Like every, everyone's sort of familiar with like when the central bank raises rates in the U S and we tighten things, it slows down the economy, or at least this is the idea, right? That, yeah. You know, if we loosen policy and create more dollars and lower interest rates, then it creates more activity. Right. I mean, that's, that's sort of the, not, I mean, that's like remedial central bank one oh one kind yeah. of like, right. Um, and so, in a way, the reserve currency and especially the petrodollar reserve currency um, status makes us the central banker to the world. Yeah. So you have to. So in order to not have things get too tight elsewhere, they need they need dollars, right? So it's not because it's not even just like what what's the offshoot? I think of having energy priced in in dollars has led to lots of world trade and other commodities getting settled. Um, in in dollars and therefore alongside that trillions of dollars of non-financial dollar denominated debt outstanding that's outside the u.s right so they have so they have interest payments that have to be made in dollars right so so there's this demand for dollars outside the world that in a lot of ways especially given sort of the size of the deficits we now are running, right, has sort of helped to, to continue to, um, to keep the, the dollar um, stronger. I looked it up. I looked it up. 40% of global debt is denominated in dollars. And 70% of world trade. It's, I mean, so, so like, again, kind of getting back to my conspiracy theory then of the whole idea of like McGriddle coin coming along and China seeing that as a way to unseat USD and just going to the Middle East and saying, yeah, we want to buy your oil, but we want to buy it in McGriddle coin. We don't want to pay in USD anymore because McGriddle coin is just easier for us. How on the scale of plausibility, where I mean, does that lie? It's certainly, I, I'm, I'm sort of of two minds with it, right? Yeah. Like, I think we're, I think that's right. Like, I think you're, I think that's, I think there's signs that it's, it's even sort of happening at the margin. Mm-hmm. But I'm also trying to temper that view with the idea that, you know, I was looking up before we knowing we were going to do the recording. I had just gone back to look at some articles and, and funny that I was like reading an article from 1978 
that was saying like, well, how much longer are the Saudis going to go put up with, you know, a depreciating dollar and they'll just want out of this petrodollar. Apparently 50 years or so. That's what I mean. So like, so it's, it falls into one of those things where you're like, are we calling for something that people have been calling for, for like 50 years? And like, why now, you know? Yeah. The answer to the why now question is on the other side is look, I think if you're reading the chicken entrails or the, or the tea leaves at the bottom of the, the mug, like, yeah, there are some, I mean, look, I mean, China in, in just, just two, three years ago, like opened a, you know, Shanghai uh, oil futures exchange. Now, granted, it doesn't get anywhere near the volume that the CBOE mm-hmm. does in the, in the U S but mm-hmm. like, but there are like, there are market makers on that exchange and they do price like oil contracts and it may not be the dominant place and it probably never will be, Yeah, but it's already sort of a you're getting these little side pocket deals where like mm-hmm. people sell things outside that dollar structure that you've created this non-dollar denominated futures um, market. I mean, so there are a couple of signs that this is sort of under pressure. And I think, you know, we haven't touched on this directly, but it sort of relates to the Kashagi point, which is the more we wield our reserve currency status in, in sort of blatant ways, which is one, you know, to, to run just epic deficits. I mean, epic, epic, right? We, we were already in for a, a trillion or so, and now we're adding another 1.9, and then we're going to add, then we're going to talk about infrastructure, and that's going to even more. And like, I mean, it's, we're getting to the point now where, I mean, we're, I, it's going like my, my charts that I have of like the deficit versus the GDP just become almost laughable. I mean, it's like they're just kind of like 30% of GDP or something. It's just getting to the point where like, okay, I mean, why not throw another trillion? Yeah. <laughs> <I> mean, hey. <laughs> so I just, uh, so the rest of the world has to sort of look at that and say, like, okay, um, I mean, you're, you're depreciating our reserves. I mean, this is like, um, so if the, if the, you know, so there is sort of almost like a, um, yeah, I guess there's a, a double edged sword there of like, do you really want to go off this while you, like, and how do you go off it? To what to watch it plummet while you still own assets denominated in it, right? Like, um, so it's it feels like it's it, there's a little bit of you can only do it slowly, I guess. Is the yeah, it really happen all at once, I don't think, because it would be catastrophic. Um, yeah, so but certainly, I think the, the short answer to your question about like, do they want to? I mean, yeah, I look at the other thing that's different from a 1978 article is you know, China's a heck of a lot bigger world power who's a uh, oil importer and this doesn't help them to have like everything well that's sort of need the dollars to pay for this sort of primal this prime good that they need to um that they need to run their economy well that was my point is they're they're a much more valuable uh trading partner to most of opec just based on how they based on how much where they get their oil (laughs) You know, they get a good yeah. chunk of oil from Saudi Arabia, good chunk of oil from Russia, you know, and... Uh, and that's the other side of this. I said there were two things. One was the, the our running, using our reserve currency status to run, sort of just decide that there's no such thing as inflation. And so we can just print as much as we want and do whatever we want. And everybody's list of why are we even worried about it? Just do whatever you feel like doing. And then there's the other side too, which is that we've increasingly used it as a weapon, right? So we've through sanctions if, if all this trade has to be done in dollars and to access your wealth you need to have dollar denominated bank accounts and things like and then we go about you know sanctions 
tariffs, uh, anti-money laundering and, and bank accounts being frozen. And like this gets, you know, that, that obviously makes people less comfortable owning um, things in, in dollar or having to be forced to use dollars for things. If it, yeah. if it gives us a, a bat to sort of beat them <laughs> over the head with, um, which gives you just another incentive to sort of tiptoe to the exit. Right. Um, do you think it's, do you think it's, it's a tiptoe or you think there's any chance it would be kind of like the, the Reichsmark and, you know, pre-World War II, post-World War One era where all of a sudden it just kind of spirals yeah. out of control? I think, I think being the reserve currency status makes it hard for it to, I mean, again, I'm totally probably out of my depth. So take, yeah. take a, a monetary economist who could really probably school me on this and explain why I'm an idiot talking yeah. about this but yeah. that's, hey i think they're all idiots so yeah right mutual right, right back at you dude yeah. <laughs> i think we anyone who's listened to this podcast has probably figured out that i just generally think most of neoclassical economics is sort of off kilter um and uh, and a cause of a lot of our problems but yeah. um but the uh the reichsmark wasn't like a world reserve currency true right it was more of a situation like Venezuela where you, your, or Zimbabwe or one of these things where you, you print money, you pay in your soldiers and, or your other things in this money that you then keep printing. But you, all, all that does is just sort of, that's just moving claims around on things. Right. So it doesn't affect the price of things on the world exchanges. So therefore all you're doing is sort of shooting yourself in the face um, eventually. And that's why you get this, um, that, that, kind of hyperinflationary result. I think it's I think it's hard and I say this with understandably I'm sure between now and when you post this podcast suddenly prices will start rising by 10,000% and I'll look like an idiot. But I think it's I think it's very hard for a reserve currency to see hyperinflation. So I think I think you'd have to have a combination of fiscal deficits, outright monetization of those deficits and a lack of reserve currency status together would lead to hyperinflation. Any one of those, I think, is mildly inflationary on its own, right? All together are very, very inflationary. Um, none of them is sort of very non-inflationary, very, very hard currency. And like, uh, and so then it's sort of like, how many of those switches do you want to do you want sort of flip? We are going to take a short break and we'll be back with some delicious McGriddles and the Data Monkey. I hope you're enjoying this episode and I wanted to take a short break to remind you why we're all here and how you can help. Now, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know how strongly we need true multipartisan democracy to fight the us versus them narrative and politics and make this democracy a marketplace of ideas as it was intended. And ranked choice voting is by far the easiest and most practical way to open up our two-party duopoly to some real competition. And if you know this is important, and I know you do, and if you want to take action, which I also know you do, go to rankthevote.us. It's an organization dedicated to building out the ranked choice voting movement in every state in the union. Sign up and you'll receive updates about ways you can take part in your home state. Remember, there are a thousand 
hacking at the branches of evil to one who is striking at the root, and you don't get closer to the root than the ballot box. I hope you'll join me. And now, back to our episode. McGriddlecoin sounds like a bit of a pipe dream now, unfortunately. R.I.P. McGriddlecoin. But the the flip side of that is, you know, if we get back to the role of uh, or, or what's going on with cryptocurrency, for example, what's going on with Bitcoin, you know, it seems to me there's some form of hyperinflation that already exists, but it's not playing out in the price of bread. It's playing out in all these other places people are stuffing their money. Well, it's been an interesting thing because, yeah, I think one could make an argument. I got to be careful here, but um, one could make an argument that what when you like the misunderstand. I think here, here, start with this role. We tend to focus in economics. People look to the outcomes to mm-hmm. sort of point to the problems, and I actually think our fundamental issue is that we don't really understand what like the the production function, not the consumption function, right? Like yet our sort, but what we. The, or, or better than the consumption, I'd say like the distribution function, right? Like how things get distributed across the economy, right? And so not how we make stuff, but how it gets separate, how it gets given out to people, right? So how, like how we generate profits, capital, whatever you want to call it, stuff, and how that stuff, McGriddles, and then how those McGriddles get, how many McGriddles everybody gets to get are two different parts of the equation, right? They're like two halves of the equation. There's the production function and the distribution function. And so most of our policy um, and our ideas about the economy and how it's structured and its fairness and all these things tend to focus more on the distribution function because we tend to, and this is why I point to this idea of like neoclassical economics being a little bit foobar because Mm -hmm. They sort of like, oh yeah, no, no, we get the production function. That's all we've got. That so what we're trying to figure out is why the distribution's all off. And I'm kind of going back to square one and say, I think I think it's screwed up because I don't think you actually understand this production function the way you think you do. Um, like where take for example, the way they would think of the world is that energy is a substitutable good. But like the last time I checked, like you and I can't substitute like air for food. Like it, well, yeah, well, yeah if I don't eat, I die. Right. Like I just, so, so you can't, there's no substitution for things like energy, which are a prime mover of everything that happens. So this is where McGriddle coin or Bitcoin or any of these things have to be mindful of like, you take Bitcoin, for example. And again, I'm not opining on the current price. I have no opinion or I have an opinion, but I'm not going to share it uh, about like what the right price should be or what, or how, or is it viable as a, as a, but I can point out that it does have a, a sort of a one issue i think that makes me question whether it's truly like the answer like it may be an answer and it certainly could be part of the answer but is it the answer like to what they call like so so like a bitcoin what they call like a bitcoin maximalist right like we're all going to be paid in bitcoins and that's going to the future of the of the currency i think the problem is bitcoin is not just like a hard currency it's like an ultra hard currency like not only does the supply not like is capped but it gets like exponentially harder to increase that supply in real work. Like it takes like the degree of difficulty of producing it goes up and not even just up with the demand. It goes up even as a function of the demand. So like it goes up even more, like the degree of difficulty goes up even more to make it almost ultra hard. 
such that the at the leading edge, producing a coin at this point, the amount of energy it takes to produce an incremental coin is enormous, like an enormous use of resources. And we have to ask that question, like, is that a good I, I, I'm not, again, I'm asking a question. I'm, I'm just about asking provocative questions in open-ended fashion that we come to no conclusions. Yes. <laughs> but, yes. But, uh, but you'll wait that, till McGriddle coin part three and then it's all going to be, yeah, answered. it's all going to so, come together. Yeah. All, oh, there were so many answer, answer questions from McGriddle coin one and two. <laughs> and I was really hoping we'd bring it home and it turned into a matrix three. God, it's going to be, those guys suck. <laughs> it's going to be the rise of Skywalker. We're going to try to land this plane. Yeah. And hopefully everyone will still be alive at the end, sort of. <laughs> uh, all right. So, but the, the, so I guess my point is that like, it, I don't think an, I think an ultra hard currency almost has similar or um, different, but related issues to an ultra soft currency. Like, like just fiat currencies that just like flood the world with endless dollars thinking you can produce capital yeah. by just printing money, which is fundamentally flawed. It doesn't. Yeah. And this is my point. It doesn't, this is the whole thing. Like dollars don't make the economy grow. Yes. All that does. So therefore the the economy can only grow like whatever can grow. Flooding it with more dollars doesn't create, I mean, it can create more activity, but it doesn't functionally structurally make it grow. What it does though, is distort the claims on the existing things quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And that's where the distribution function gets all screwed up. Yes. And so to your point, like you see, you can see like asset inflation, like, so some people say, well, there's no inflation. Well, I guess, I mean, look at the price of a lot of goods over the last, like just track the, the, the increase in the price of take a pick a random thing. Like it doesn't even have to be the stock. Let's just stay away from the stock market. Let's just say, let's just say like, you know, artwork. Pick a, pick a thing and just like that, like rich people buy and then yeah. just look at what's happened with the prices of those things over the last 30, 40 years. And then, yeah. and then say like, clearly it's had some effect. There is some inflation. It's just not broad CPI level inflation. And I'd actually brought, like, I think you could almost make the case that asset inflation even drives some of the deflation at the, at the lower level. Right. Because you, um, because you might, Overinvest in in different the, the price signaling telling you assets are worth a lot makes you make more of those assets, which in some ways is productive capacity. So therefore, you almost create a deflationary effect um, on things. Yeah, which is why we've had like eight hundred different social media and photo sharing apps pop up over the last decade, and. You know, <laughs> the, the you still get the same off a tank of gas that you did back in like 2010. Or things like air travel have theoretically gone backwards, right? Like yeah. In well, the ni- in 1978, when this art- with article I referenced, I think I could have flown to England on the Concorde in like two hours. We stopped making those, and now I can only go there in five hours. And actually, right now I can't go there at all. Really? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's like gone really kind of gone backwards a little bit. It's uh, it's in, it's interesting that that you know it, that there's definitely inflation and it's very reflective of getting back to your distribution uh to getting back to what you said about distribution. You know, the level of inflation we have just reflects where all the money's going. So the reason there's not a lot of inflation 
at the supermarket, for example, right. is is because your average grocery consumer, your the the the, the average American, is there isn't there aren't more dollars in their pockets. Right. But, so now follow that logic. If you then decide instead of just printing money and handing it to everybody who has it already, mm-hmm. you cut checks to everybody, like we just did. They will go out and spend it. Yes. And that will ellipsis, ellipsis, ellipsis. Yes. Follow on. Like what is like, okay. So then what happens? I guess we'll find out. I mean, I, um, you know, I, and again, does it go to the people who are thinking it's hyperinflationary? I, I, I don't, I don't know if it can be because again, we're the that reserve currency status sort of is, is a little bit of a, a rate limiter because if you're, just think about it this way. A certain percentage of the goods you buy, right, at this point, and a larger percentage today than long ago, yeah, come from China. If I go to Walmart, if I get a stimulus check and I run to Walmart and, and go out and, um, and buy a McGriddle, oh, that's just a really mixed metaphor. But, um, yeah. but you give us a name. If I run out and buy things at Walmart, some percentage of those things, a large percentage of them, depending on where you shop, may have come from outside the U.S. Yeah. Right. Now, we can talk about tariffs, we can talk about fighting tough with China, we can talk about the end of the world, we can talk about onshoring, all these things that people throw around. But the reality is that that doesn't happen like between me getting a check and going to the store. That takes years to, to unwind arrangements that have gone into place, right? Like NAFTA and the China into the World Trade Organization and all the offshoring of factories and whole supply chains that have been built up over a long, long time take just as much time to unwind and reestablish in different places. So as much as you could talk about, you know, wanting to bring things back onshore, back to the U S yeah, we may well do that. I I don't know. Um, But that's not going to happen at the rate at which I can cut a check and have you go spend the money. And so unless you're, unless you're going to have a marginal propensity to consume things more in the U.S. Like if we were sending out checks and also simultaneously advertising buy U.S., don't buy foreign, right? Um, then a lot of those dollars are going to go overseas. And then they go into either, you know, they are going to go back to reserve currency, the Federal Reserve that's going to then have to run that, you know, uh, we're going to run a capital account surplus where they're buying the treasuries or they're buying whatever, like they're buying yeah. these things like that, that we, um, in our assets, because their, their activity in, in their own economy, as they get those dollars back in, they're not going to go out. And so if China gets a bunch of dollars in, you don't, those, those companies have to go and pay their housing expenses and buy food. All their employees then have to go down and do like, they don't buy them in dollars. So they've got to now sell dollars to buy one. Right. So, yeah. so there's this, so there's, there's some downward pressure on the on the dollar from that. Um, so anyway, there's like sort of it, I would say it's a multi. The problem is it's like a multivariate problem, and that's yeah. why I say it's not it's not like it's not as it's simple just, as especially as a reserve currency. It's not just one where I don't think there's can lead to as I say, knock on wood, it'll, it'll happen next week, and I'll look like an idiot. But I don't think it can lead to sort of runaway inflation. Um, I do, however, think you could see a acceleration of some inflation possibly. Yeah. And so it sounds to me like any, any move off the, any move away from the dollar as global, as the global 
reserve currency, whether that be um, in terms of you know resolving international transactions or or you know pricing oil, for example, that would be a very long, long process that we would see coming from a good distance. Is that is that fair? Um, yeah, and I think what we were saying is if you looked at sort of a few of the things that have happened, like as I said, like I mentioned, the Shanghai Exchange or or you know, um, you know some of the the deals that have been done, I think. You know, there have been a few one-off sort of pricings of, uh, you know, oil purchases or other things in non-dollar. Like, sure, I think there's those are sort of signs that if it is down the road, maybe you see the headlights coming over the horizon. Yeah, possibly. Um, you know, uh, but you know, I think it has. Yeah, I think we ought to come back to. The, I think it would take a while to unwind. I don't think it's something that happens just like very quickly. So if it's so, then kind of like trying to figure out how to unwind this. So we know, let's just say it's coming, you know, one way or the other, let's just say like, this is unsustainable. We can't keep taking out trillion dollar deficits and writing people checks for them to spend at the supermarket. Like eventually that's going to, you know, turn around and bite us in the ass. Not to mention the fact that I'm pretty convinced like 50% of all those stimulus checks went to buying GameStop stock because it's just, the 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 ridiculousness of the market is crazy, you know, or or is is just. It, I, have, it, I have no comment. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I know. I know. I'm going to get you into trouble here, but but I do think there's, you know, I, I I do think if anything, if you look at, you know, again, getting back to something we we talked about, which is, you know, we're seeing inflation. We're just seeing it in areas that don't affect the average person. We're seeing it more in assets than anything then the reality is the real threat of our uh, monetary policy is more the impact it could have on the markets and the faith in the markets and the ability for American companies to raise revenue in the way they've done it for the last however long, you know, the, the, since, the, since the advent of the stock market. And that could create some serious issues for the United States economy, maybe not the status of the dollar. I think the dollar would probably survive that. Um, but certainly the way uh, companies get access to capital would change. Yeah, I think you're, you're already, I mean, you've already seen it to some degree, right? Like, I think we've already, and I don't want to confuse, I think the structural inflation and short term, and I think short term, I think we've already probably seen some, right? I mean, I, yeah. don't, know, I don't know if you've noticed, but I, I, a lot of weeks I do the grocery shopping. Yeah family so i'm like i and we you know we're boring i buy the we buy like the same stuff practically yeah. every week right because you just kind of get into a routine of like you know monday Mo- taco tuesday and you know yeah day or whatever because yeah. like i got i have no brain capacity I, I barely have brain capacity to get through this podcast never mind figure out meal planning for yeah week. so um the so you know, I get used to a number, right? And then you can sort of see, like, if it's creeping up, you sort of ask yourself, like, did I buy something different? Like, or you're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, okay, I bought that thing I don't normally get. And yeah, I bought that. But well, and I've just noticed, like, I've definitely noticed. I'm sure your listeners probably noticed. Maybe they could answer. Maybe they could, anyone's listening and they want to put something in the comments. Like, I would love to hear, like, yeah. interesting to hear people, like, say, like, where, you know, are you seeing, have you noticed any general inflation? Because I think the answer sh- would be yes. I don't yeah. know. I guess we'll see. I think I have. I think we're seeing it. I, but I think part of that is because our supply chains are limited right now, right? You're seeing, yeah. like, because we have, 
distancing and absences and like all these other things that were at going on that are causing uh, supply chains to be a bit stretched um, that are probably having a somewhat of an effect on total capacity available to produce things yeah, uh, or, or produce things and get them on the shelves. And so uh, with every uptick in demand, I think that's going to, until you get sort of everything running back normally, it's going to be hard to see what the real effect is. And in the short run, it's probably going to be maybe possibly a bit uh, lead to some elevated pricing. Okay. Okay. So bottom line then is we're probably not going to see Bitcoin, McGriddle coin, or something like it pose a reasonable th- threat to supplanting the dollar or any other currency for that matter, a- as it stands. Um, and that if anybody should be worried, it's probably the people who are spending like 63 million on a non-fungible token. Did you read this story? <laughs> <laughs> the dude. I did it, not, but. Uh, oh. Tell me, because I'm fascinated, because I've been trying to figure out for myself, too, like, how how a... Well, all right, let me, let, me, let me back up. Everyone's seen Die Hard, right? Yeah. I don't want to spoil anything, but the movie is kind of old now, so I yeah. assume everyone who's going to have seen Die Hard or is old enough to have watched it has watched it at this point. Uh, you know, there has been a question in my mind ever since I was old enough to ask it, which is what the hell was the Nakatomi Corporation doing with that much cash in a vault? Um, I can only assume they were trying to subvert some sort of taxation or something that they were doing a bunch of deals in ta- in cash. So they were clearly not on the up and up, which makes the, maybe the uh, Hans Gruber was actually maybe um, had some sort of- uh, Like a Robin Hood? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, I sidetracked. But if you were remaking Die Hard, which you shouldn't, uh, anyone in Hollywood who happened to be listening to this, please never, ever, ever even consider nope. that, uh, immediately forget that I even said that. Bruce um, Willis is already calling people up right now. Because <laughs> uh, I know he's, he's definitely listening, right? Yes. He's even more he's he's listening to this. Um, the, but wouldn't the b- best way to do it right now would be that Hans Gruber was after the thumb drive in the Nakatomi vault that holds the, uh, the Bitcoin access <laughs> Because <laughs> every yes. time I see it, every time I see this re- a release about a company buying, bit, putting their treasury in Bitcoin, I'm like, how does this work? Like, don't, doesn't like, does the CFO literally have some thumb drive? That's <laughs> like, like, and if he drops dead of a heart attack, do they just lose like two million dollars? Oh, that's my favorite. <laughs> I'm like, how does this work? I have no idea. And I was like, how? And if and a board that's approving this should be asking like how are we custodying this? Like, how does this actually work and not lead to somebody stealing a hundred million dollars from the company? Oh, that's so glorious. I didn't even think of that. I printed it out, out on a piece of paper and I kept it right. I keep it inside a book in my bookshelf. It's hidden in plain sight. That is the craziest thing. Do you know what? I'm going to say this. We never, so for those who are expecting some sort of like fireworks about the what was going to happen to the U.S. dollar, and for some guidance on you know whether to buy Dogecoin Do or Bitcoin or Ether or whatever else, you're not getting it. But I will give you all the million dollar Hollywood screenplay idea. Bruce Willis plays a police officer. What was his name again? Uh, John McClane. John McClane. Okay. Bruce Willis comes back. 
as police officer John McClane. I think we're writing the script for Die Hardest. Yes, yes, yeah. but there's a hitch. There's okay. a hitch here, right? Which is he's helping Haley Joel Osment rescue the folks in Nakatomi Tower, and at the end, it turns out John McClane is actually dead. <laughs> I see. So it's 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 the Sixth Sense and Die Hard. I see. Yes, yes. So I'm pretty sure that Haley Joel Osment is his schedule's free. Uh, yeah, he's probably open for the, the work at this yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, I, I would think. I yeah. mean, unless he owns unless he owns a lot of McCriticoin. In which yeah. case, he's not doing anything. In this case, he's just sitting on his ass, yeah, enjoying himself. Okay, a long and winding road that ends with us seeing dead people. But I don't know what you expected in a conversation around global economic policy that revolves around the McGriddle. Now, if you like this episode, please share and leave us a kind review. And if you haven't subscribed yet and would like to, I second that emotion. That means subscribe. Now, three things to take away. First, inflation may be here and may be present in all the things the people who are making the money buy because, you know, the price of food, gas, and other consumer goods may have risen at a relatively stable and modest rate over the last decade. But asset prices in everything from stock to art to stupid Dogecoin have exploded. Now, second, our interest in the Middle East could lie more in preserving the status of the U.S. dollar than it does in the price of oil, as we don't purchase all that much oil from the region to begin with. And we may need to ask how all this works in a world that is slowly divesting itself from fossil fuels and one where the big players in the region don't necessarily share our interests. Now, thirdly and lastly, replacing the dollar is going to take a long time, but it's probably going to happen. The world's global reserve currency has shifted hands many times before, and it's not likely that process is going to stop. And so the question is, how do we prepare ourselves as individuals and a nation for the post-dollar world? I would love to hear your comments on this. So feel free to swing by the website, ydhty.com. There's a form at the bottom you can fill out. Let me know what you're thinking. Or you can hit me up on social media via the hashtag ydhty. As always, music, courtesy of Quellertac. YDHTY's editorial advisor is the ad man, Adam Yaffe. YDHTY is produced with tender loving care in North Carolina, United States, by the big Gino Jason Putney. Until the next, this is Dan Sally. Bye bye.